ruler of the Pharisees. And he had come to Jesus by night because he was afraid of the Jews. And Jesus' ministry has really begun to blossom throughout Israel, and many people are beginning to follow him. And the, the ruling class of uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees making up the Sanhedrin can't allow this to take place without addressing it because it seems as if there's a measure of a shift away from the basic teachings of Judaism. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Now, we read this, verses 1 through 8. We're going to today, just for the context, to recreate the context, even though I'm not going to go into the heart of this particular passage here today. But want to ask you once again to stand. We'll do this out of tradition to honor the reading of the Word of God. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8 of John's Gospel to create, once again, the context of our message. In the first verse, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by... Now, let's pause for just a moment and contemplate what Nicodemus has said in the second verse and then uh, what Jesus is saying in the third verse. Now, Nicodemus is affirming that the miracles that Jesus is doing, that they believe that these miracles are from God. So they're simply coming to him saying, these, these has to be. We have seen and we've heard testimony of people that we know that were, their bodies were physically deformed and now they're whole. We've heard testimony of bread being multiplied. We've heard testimony from eyewitness accounts of you walking on water. Now, remember, the Jews had, a, had, a, had scriptures where there were miracles in days gone by. The Old Testament prophets function in the miracles. And so it wasn't that they didn't believe in miracles. They're attesting that these miracles are from God. But when Jesus then speaks for just a moment, he, sa he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I want to note this for just a moment. Because when we are born again, there is an illumination to our spiritual eyes that we did not previously possess. But I want to note for a moment in the context of the miracle. Jesus did a lot of miracles while he was here on the earth. John closed his gospel by saying many more things that he said and did while he was here that if we were to try to capture them in a volume of books, he said, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus, for those three and a half years, he, he did so many more miracles than what we see captured in Scripture. And he is a miracle worker. Come on, somebody. But as powerful as it is for you and I to think about somebody with a shriveled arm being healed, that's a powerful thing. Or it's a powerful thing for you and I to think about somebody with physically blind eyes seeing for the very first time. That's a powerful revelation of God's power, isn't it? It's a tremendous. Or again, even someone physically raised from the dead. But let me tell you, the greatest of all the miracles that God does is when he takes an unregenerate, repentant sinner and he breathes new life into them. Amen. Come on, and you suddenly are made new in the kingdom of God. Amen. That's the greatest of all miracles, superseding all the others. And so Jesus said, yeah, I've, did, I've been doing miracles, but you want to see the great miracles? You can be born again. That's the great miracle right there. Amen. Nicodemus said, well, I don't understand. A lot of people don't understand spiritual things. I mean, you know, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to help us understand. We want, and I want to understand. I want to be, I use terms like this because this is King James English. I want to be found guilty. Yeah. 
I, I say that often. I want to be found guilty of standing before God and saying, God, the church that you gave me, First Assembly Hebrew Springs, that God, in a culture of biblical illiteracy, we became a church that was rooted and grounded in biblical doctrine. Amen. Our church family know and understand truths because I've helped disciple them and in their own personal devotions that you have opened their eyes. And they are understanding. Come on, that's my desire for you because I believe with that understanding comes a power in your life. A perception, a revelation is given unto you because of the understanding that you have in Christ. So Nicodemus, he's confused. How can I enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We highlighted that distinction last week, so we will not this week. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that was where I was ending in personal analogy last week, and I may have to tag team with that again to close or to open today. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now the wind blows where it lists, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot, but cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So he uses the analogy of the wind or the metaphor of the wind, that the wind is still a scientific mystery even to this day. Where does it come from? Where does it go? I can feel its effect. I can see its effect, but I don't understand its origination. And thus it is with God. We have never seen God. If we were to read this passage later, men have not, or even further down, we have not seen God with the natural eye, but we've seen his effect. Amen. We've seen his effect in creation, and we've seen its effect in our own lives. Amen. And so when we become born again, people can't take you and you say, well, I'm born again. Say, okay, let's take you to the Cleveland County Hospital and let's pass the M you into the MRI, I'm going to say machine for lack of uh, better words. And, 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 you're, and you are, that, that, that process goes, they cannot come out and then say, well, here's your spirit. Here's your spirit and here's the Holy Spirit because it's not captured by the natural eye. Jesus told Nicodemus, and he said, unless you're born again, you can't see God. God is spirit. John 4, we're going to say this before we pray and before, we, uh, before I transition. In John's gospel, the fourth chapter, Jesus is conversing with a woman who was a Samaritan, who worshiped God according to the law, but a little bit different than the Jews. And it created a faction between the Samaritans and the Jews. And Jesus when he spoke with her, he said, the hour is coming when you're not going to worship God on this mountain and they're not even going to be worshiping God in Jerusalem. And she's like, what? Our families always worship God. People in Jerusalem are worshiping God. He said, because the hour is coming and now in is when they that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God is spirit. God is spirit, and if you're going to worship God, say, that's the mysterious element of God. He's spirit. I can't take a photograph of spirit. I can't have an x-ray of spirit. I have to trust in the supernatural power of God, unseen to the mortal eye, but more real than anything that we have in this known world that we live in today, that God will work in our heart and life, and we will commune with him by the spirit. So today, put the title back up there if we would. We're going to be in part two of the series, Being Born Again. And it is today we're looking at the nature of the reborn spirit. Amen? Amen. Father of heaven, bless us to understand the word of God. Bless us to grow in the knowledge of God. Bless us today to realize the power of thy spirit who is at work within our heart and lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said amen. And amen. So let me, if I can, without going back into full 
review. I have to review slightly for just a few moments so that we can be on the same page for just a moment of time. This thing that we call being born again is a term that is expressed within the Christian community, but not often fully understood by so many of us of what it means to have been made alive in the kingdom of God, having been born again, exactly as Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and that is two different dimensions. One's a natural world and the other is a spiritual world. We were born into this natural world by our mother. Our mother and father conceived us and we came in this world in water. We were born of water. But Jesus said, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, then you must be born of the spirit. It's born from above. It is a birth in God's kingdom. And the life of God passes into us. Now, last week, I took you through the process to my very best of my ability of the hypothesis. And what I mean by hypothesis is when I speak of the term spiritual death, you can't find that term exactly in the scriptures. So it is to a degree a theory. It is something that we have as, as students of the scripture, we, we, we have made a theory concerning spiritual death. And I took you to a garden called Eden and I shared with you how that God had created man morally upright in his image and in his likeness. Describing for you that perhaps God was not referencing his physical attributes, but rather that he was triune in nature. God is triune in nature. Paul said that's the Godhead. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. It's a mystery. It's difficult to understand, but we just recognize that God is triune in nature. Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, the 23rd verse, said that man is triune in nature. He said, I pray that you may be sanctified wholly in body, in soul, and in spirit. It's known in theology as a trichotomy. Some churches teach a dichotomy that man is, is soul and body. But we, based upon that scripture, teach that there is a distinction between the soul and the spirit, that the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's where we reason. It's where we know. But the spirit is where God abides, that there's a difference sometimes between the head and the heart. Amen. Come on. Have you ever in your moment of time said this? My head is telling me one thing. Now, that's just paraphrasing biblical language. That's just putting it in everyday terms. My head is telling me one thing, but my heart is telling me something else. That's telling you that sometimes in that process, I'm reasoning in this realm that I should do this thing, but I'm being compelled inside of here by perhaps another force altogether to go and to do this thing. That, to a degree, is revealing to us the distinction of the spirit soul within the, 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 the nature of man. And so, well, I should with you really quickly last week was that Adam was created in the likeness and the image of God. And the Bible says in Genesis, the second chapter and the seventh verse, that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now, living soul, we don't know exactly what that means, but our perception or our theory to a degree is this, is that man had the full triune nature of God. He's spirit, soul, and body. He has a mind. He has faculties. He has understanding. He can, he can uh, speak. He can communicate. He can reason. He can think. He's the most intellectual man that had ever been created. 
But God, when he breathed into his nostrils, and that reference to breath right there, it shows to us that the Spirit of God entered into him. And so now, not only could he commune with man, fellow man, if there had been anyone, he was able to commune with his wife Eve when she was created. He could, he could commune with man on this level, but he could also commune with, with God Amen. by the Spirit. God would come down. And, and, and they would commune. Adam would commune with God. And it is our belief that when man took of the, of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, a fulfillment of the prophetical word made to Adam when God had put him in the garden. God said, of all the trees of the, of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that thou eatest of, thou shalt surely die. Well, it, Scripture records that Adam lived over 900 years when he was driven eastward out of the garden. So did he die that day? Well, if he did, what was the death that occurred? It was not a physical death because the Bible records that physical death later. So it is our belief that the death that occurred in the garden was spiritual death, separation from God. Possibly, I can't say this is my hypothesis, possibly that the Spirit of God that had given life to Adam's spirit was withdrawn. And I shared with you the analogy of Ezekiel's vision where he saw the temple in Jerusalem because the Apostle Paul used the metaphor later of the temple as reflecting the nature of a man when he said this. He said, know ye not, 1 Corinthians 6. Y'all remember that. I'm catching you up for just a moment. You're in class. Class is still in session here today. 1 uh, Corinthians 6, Paul said, know ye not that your body is the, the temple of what? Of the Spirit of God who dwells inside of you. So Paul uses the analogy of the temple. Ezekiel sees a vision. In Ezekiel the 10th and the 11th chapter, remember the glory of God. Remember the glory of God? Where did the glory of God abide? In the temple in Jerusalem. It abide behind the, the, the veil in the most holy place, correct? In the most holy place. Not in the outer court, not in the inner court, but behind the veil in the holy, most holy place, which again can be a picture of the nature of man, the triune nature of man. It was there that God abode, his glory abode. It was there that the fragrance and the power and the grace and the goodness of God made the temple more than just an edifice. It made it a living entity because of the presence of God. But Ezekiel saw a vision when the glory of God was lifted because of apostasy and of sin. But Ezekiel saw a later vision in the 43rd chapter of the same, uh, the same book that bears his name of the return to the glory of God and what had been torn down and was destroyed in essence was dead came back to life again and worship was new in the power and the presence of God four chapters over Ezekiel sees the vision of that glory of God not just abiding in the temple but the glory of God flowing out of the temple and bringing life to everywhere it goes. And I share with you that I believe that that is, a, that is a metaphor of the triune nature of man and that perhaps that spiritual death was when the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit, again, that's a theory, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn, man has a soul, he can relate to God, he can contemplate, but he can't know or commune with God because he has no life in his spirit. He looks the same on the outside. Adam, when he was driven out of the garden, looked the same on the outside. But perhaps something had taken place in his heart. Does that make sense? Spiritual death. Thus, the need for Jesus, when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be 
born again. You must be born from above. You must be born by the Spirit of God. It's not just enough to know God in your mind. It's not just enough to read the Scriptures. It's not just enough to build an edifice, put an object called the Ark of the Covenant inside it, and say, God abides there, but I abide here. Jesus said, if you're really going to see the kingdom of God, then you've got to be born by the Holy Spirit of God. Well, you know what? Nothing's changed. 2,000 years later, that doctrine is just as valid and just as relevant as when it flowed off of the lips of Jesus long years ago. Doesn't matter whether you've been a part of the church all your life. Doesn't matter if you've never been born again. Doesn't matter whether we baptize you in water or you're baptized at another church. Doesn't matter whether you attended a class. Doesn't matter whether your pastor, whether your daddy was the pastor and your grandfather was the founding father of the church. Doesn't matter. You must be born again. You must come to that place in your life when you lay yourself before God and say, Father, I believe in Jesus. And when you do, I believe with all of my heart that the same Spirit... Well, let me go a little bit further here just real quickly. It's on my heart for just a moment. How many of you believe today that Jesus is raised from the dead? Amen. Let me clarify some of that for you. You say, you really believe that. Do you believe that they took the lifeless body of Jesus Christ down from the cross of Calvary wrapped him in clothes. They were in a hurry because the Sabbath, was, the Sabbath hour was drawing to a close. They didn't give him the formal uh, wrapping of a, of a Jew uh, at all because the Sabbath was coming to a close and, and, or before the Sabbath. It was about to go into the Sabbath. The day was coming to a close. And so they hastily put him in the borrowed tomb of a man, a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, and the Roman soldiers put a large circular stone in front of the sepulcher, sealed it by the signet ring of Pontius Pilate that it was sealed. No man could enter it without the approval of Pontius Pilate. Day one passed. Day two passed. On the morning of the third day, the women came with spices, hoping to gain the, the, the right for the soldiers to roll the stone back so that they could appropriately, uh, you know, uh, embalm his body only to discover that the stone had been rolled away. And that the soldiers were perplexed. They went inside, there's nothing. Angels appeared and said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? For I know that you seek Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here, but he is risen as he said he would. Come on, somebody. And he will go before you into Galilee. Go, Mary. Go and tell my disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. Luke records it this way, that they go and they're in a place, the door shut for fear of the Jews, when suddenly in their midst, without the knock on a door, without the raising of a window, uh, that he would come in through the window. Suddenly, the darkness of the room is driven away by the bright, glorious light of the resurrected Son of Almighty God. Hallelujah. But you know, when they saw him, what happened? They supposed he was a, of a spirit in that sense. They supposed that he did not have a physical body, that he had, that it was a spirit, that they were, it was his spirit, it was his ghost. And he said, fear not, it is I said, it is not a spirit. He said, handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. Come, is there anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish and he ate in their presence to confirm and to validate that the very one that had, 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 had dropped his head on the cross of Calvary, remember his words now, 
I'm just putting this together as the Holy Ghost has given it to me. So I'm just going to let it go here today, okay? And so remember, on the cross of Calvary, he, he had said this, right after suffering all the, the, the effects of the judgment of God being poured up out upon him as our substitution upon the cross. Remember what he said when he lifted his eyes toward heaven. He said, Father, into thy hands I commit my what? Into my hands I commit my spirit. Now, I commit my spirit. And so he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. His body is lifeless. His spirit is released into the will of God to those three days take place. I'm not going to share with you today another sermon. Maybe I'll preach it later. What happened between the cross and the throne? We'll talk about that on another Sunday morning. But we believe that before the angel could roll the stone away, we believe that the spirit of the living God ushered the spirit of Jesus back into his body and he was raised from the dead. Come on, somebody. Come on. And he's made a life-giving spirit. Remember, now that was noted last week in 1 Corinthians 15 that the apostle Paul, looking back at Adam, said the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. But the second Adam was made a life-giving spirit. Now, is that a, is that a contradiction between what Jesus said? No. He has body, but he has the ability to give spirit, to release spirit. And so when they were standing there in awe of Jesus on that resurrection and they actually go up, I would have touched him, wouldn't you? Come on, I'd have run right to him and fell on him like Mary and held him. And Thomas, he said, put your hand in my side and reach your hand right here. Know that it is truly I. I'm the same one that you saw die on the cross. What happened? Why is he alive today? Because the spirit of God. Raised Jesus from the dead. Come on, somebody. And he was raised again as a life-giving spirit, meaning he has flesh and bone, but he also gives life by the spirit. So now let's see if we can make this, put this together again. So in that same moment, John records that after he said those words to him, Jesus drew them near and he breathed on them. Now, why the use of the term breath? He breathed on them. What did he say? Receive ye. It's John, the 20th chapter. I think I, I may have wrote it down. It's John's gospel. I, will just, I, wanna, I don't want you to miss it. I want to make sure I, I read it out to you. It's John, the 20th chapter, the 20th through the 22nd verse. He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Why are those words carefully chosen? Because I believe in my heart of hearts that he was using that term because it was going all the way back to the Genesis. That in the very beginning, God had took lifeless clay out of the earth. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became living soul. But by willful transgression, he received the judgment of God, spiritual death. Man continues to function. He's got faculties, but he's subjected to death. He will die physically. He did not die that day physically, but he died that day spiritually. But now Jesus has been raised from the dead, and now there's a life-giving spirit in the earth. Now there's one that can go back and do what God did in the Genesis. God can take lifeless mankind without the life of the Spirit, and he can breathe on our lives and forever change us by the breath of God. Amen. And so Jesus breathes on them. And they are, I believe, made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense here today? Oh, yeah. Now let's think about this for just a moment. Jesus, again, think about who he is in his resurrection. You believe that Jesus is alive. Do you believe that today? Do you believe today with all your heart that Jesus Christ is alive? By the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that he today is seated at the right hand of the God, interceding for you and I. But then what about you? Who are you today? What's happened inside of you when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus? Apostle Paul, in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, he addressed, or the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, he, he, he spoke in this context just a little bit. He said that if, if we believe that Jesus is alive, we, if we believe that he's alive, and we believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, think about the same power. We sing that song, the same power. You believe that power today? I mean, I'm asking you today, I want you to be honest. Do you really believe in the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead? What is that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you believe that Jesus is alive, then the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Wow. The same power that went into the chamber of death and found the lifeless body of Jesus and raised him from the dead, that same power, when you put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead gave you new life in the power of your spirit. Come on, somebody. And you were born... Come on now. You were born again by the breath of God. You were born again by the Spirit of God, made alive by God's supernatural power. So if you believe that Jesus is alive today, then I want you to know today, then you're alive today. Come on, if you believe that Jesus is alive today, and I'm not just talking about alive on this earth. Listen, and I can lay this frail human flesh down today. Three days from now, y'all could, uh, you could mourn or celebrate my funeral, but guess what? I won't be there. I'll be in the presence of Almighty God because I have eternal life abiding on the inside of me. Yes, we're still subjected to death. Yes, one day that we do pass into eternity, but our spirit is alive unto the glory of God. I commune with the I'm not waiting for eternity eternity to have eternal life i have eternal life dwelling on the inside of me why because i have the power of the holy spirit on the inside of me and so do you if you're born again and i'll tell you what it gives us great hope and trust and it lets us know we are not any ordinary creation bible says we are new creatures in christ jesus and so that's why church family I'm going to tell you there's only two types of people in the earth today saved or unsaved lost and found come on somebody born again or unregenerate depending upon the context and the choice of words and so we can have two people standing they can be twins they can look alike they can talk alike they can come from the same mom and daddy they can have uh, great similarities in their characteristics of their personality but if one knows Jesus and the other doesn't then they're all together different because on the inside of the one who knows Jesus the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells on the inside of them and they are alive unto God amen. hallelujah that's good preaching here today amen and you say pastor I want to before closing let me just share with you real quickly because again today I'm putting together the components of one sermon that was divided almost unnaturally so for just a moment, let me just remind you of this in Ephesians 1, the 13th verse. Here's what the apostle Paul wrote. He said, after you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That after you believed, not necessarily in time and distance, but after as in succession. So when you put your faith in Christ, we know that's where it starts right there. Amen. Putting your faith in Christ. That when you trust in Jesus... Romans 10 said that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Isn't that what it says? 
If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, then he said, you shall be saved. What happens at that moment? I believe but the breath of God. Just as if you were with Jesus' disciples when he breathed on them, the Holy Spirit. Nothing changes externally at that moment. If you were 5 foot 11 before you were saved, you're going to be 5 foot 11 after you're saved. Right? If you got brown hair and brown eyes before you're saved, you're going to have brown hair and brown eyes after you're saved. Right? Nothing on the external immediately changes. Nothing even changes immediately in your mind, will, and your emotions. A process of discipleship can begin that day forward where you learn to renew your mind. And you learn to think differently, act differently, and talk differently. But immediately, immediately, the life of God has entered inside of you. And now you can commune with God the way that Jesus said man is being designed by God to commune with him. And that is through the Spirit of God. So let me read a few verses of Scripture here. I, don't, I, don't, I think they have these verses for us. I would like to read these before we close today. And I'm going to close with a metaphor and an analogy. I just want my church family to know at least in what measure that God allows us to contemplate or understand the work of the Spirit. I just want you to understand the distinction in your life because you are born again and you have a reborn spirit inside of you because your spirit now houses the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to know because I'm telling you, when you have that confidence that you're in him and you've received of the Spirit of God, then as Paul wrote in Romans the 8th chapter, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not persecution, not trial, not anything that the enemy, the devil, or the world can throw at me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Why? Because the love of God is hidden in my heart, shed abroad by the Holy Ghost who dwells inside of us. Come on, somebody. Amen. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Far too often, church family, we live in the soulless realm. Far too often, we live in the physical realm. God's design for us is not to walk in the flesh or walk in the soul. God's design is that you would walk in the... Oh, my God, we'll get there later. But in Titus, the third chapter, the fifth verse, here's what he said. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3 and 5, listen to that. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The word regeneration means spiritual rebirth, new birth, recreation, and renewal. That's why we are able to use words about, as been previously mentioned, you're a new creature in Christ. God has done something awesome altogether new in your heart and life the word renewing is a renovation the renovation of the holy spirit first corinthians 6 verse 17 listen to this he that is joined unto the lord is one spirit god sent his spirit where your body is the temple of the holy spirit which is in you which you have of god now, I want to go to this passage here. And I want to ask you to turn with me. And this will be the last passage we look at here today, just real quick. I want you to go to Romans, the 8th chapter, for just a moment. I want you to see this before I close today. Stay with me for just a little bit. And emotionally and spiritually connect to this passage of Scripture because there's so much life in it. Let's go to the 8th verse. I'm just going to start there. If, you, if he follows me on the screen, that's fine. If not, you got your Bible in your lap or it's on an iPhone or an iPad or something there and you can follow me sixth verse says so then they that are in the flesh cannot please god so if you're not born again you cannot please god did you hear that today if you are not born of the spirit of god now god loves you 
God cares for you. He's affectionate towards you. He's compassionate towards you. He, he has a, 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 an overwhelming love and affection towards you, but you cannot please him. You cannot follow his will and his desires because you're just flesh. The flesh is corrupt. The flesh is dying. The flesh is dictated by carnal desires. But notice, look at the ninth verse. But you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. Now, I feel like I'm in the flesh this morning in a certain context. I'm not in the flesh in the sense that I'm being carnally minded, but I have flesh. Don't you? Right? Some of you say, yeah, it's telling me it's time to go eat lunch right now. But no, listen, but he's not talking about, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If so, be what? Now, read that with me. If so, be that what? Read it together. That the spirit of God does what? Where does he dwell? In you. Now, remember what Jesus told his disciples in John 14 about the coming of the comforter. He said, when he comes, he will abide with you forever. But he'll be more than just a blanket that you put on your shoulder. He'll be more than just that type of comforter, but he will abide with you forever. How? Because he shall dwell with you and he shall be in you. So so Paul is, is reflecting the words of Jesus. Now he said, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is what? What if he's religious? Are y'all with me out there today? What if he attends church? What if he attends mass? What if the Pope blesses him? Does it matter? Now, if you have not received the Spirit of God, you say, well, how do I know? I'll show you in just a moment right here. Paul will show you. Say, giving life because of righteousness because you've been made righteous in the sight of God through this is talking about the propitiation the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that because you were made the righteousness of God in Christ now you can receive the Holy Spirit you couldn't receive the Holy Spirit before because you were never truly justified you were never truly made righteous in the eyes of God under the Old Testament sacrificial system but now because of righteousness the Spirit gives life does that make sense 11th verse but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you therefore brethren this is, we're going to learn about this in the days ahead. We are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. I'm not bound to the desires of the flesh. Why? Because there's a power in me greater than the flesh. You have to catch hold of that today. Let me ask you for just a moment. Jesus' body is lifeless on the, uh, in the tomb. His body is lifeless. But when the Spirit entered into him, which one was the victor? Come on, the Spirit of God. So let me say this to you. The Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you is greater than the appetites and the desires of your flesh. Come on, there's greater power, the power of the Spirit of God. So that he, that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, the word quicken means make alive your mortal bodies. One day there's going to be a resurrection, right? Or also this scripture could be speaking of our discipleship where we learn to live unto God. More about that later. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now let's read just a little bit further. We're concluding at the 16th verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. 
We're the sons of God today, sons and daughters of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God's on the inside of us. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received what? The spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, you've been taught this in the past, Abba, Father, an intimate expression of, fa of father-son communication, Abba, Father, daughter-father uh, communication. It's intimate, your spirit, you cry, Abba, Father. Now look at the 16th verse. It's very important. The spirit itself bears witness with what? Read it there together. The spirit itself beareth witness with what? With whose spirit? Our spirit that we are? The children of God. So you say, Pastor Brown, how if I give my heart to Jesus, if I do what you say, then we use all kinds of terms to describe this. Sometimes we say get saved. Sometimes we'll say you need salvation. Sometimes say well, we got a new convert here. The context of the way it's used scripturally determines the exact meaning of the word. But in this context, we're speaking of regeneration. If you are saved, you're regenerate. If you're saved, you're born again. In this passage here, in the 16th verse, the apostle here says that when you are saved, what happens? His spirit bears witness with what? With what? With your mind. With your flesh. No. But where? Now, I'm trying to get you out of a carnal mind today, and I'm trying to get you from being dominated by the desires of your flesh. I want you to know today that when you put your faith in Christ, the way that you knew it is His Spirit joined with your spirit, and suddenly there was an expression in your heart where God is no longer a distant deity somewhere in the cosmos, but now He is Abba, Father. Come on now, he's more than just a God to you. He is Father to you because you can commune with him. Come on, in the Spirit of God. Man, that's good right there. I'm alive unto God. I know it. I commune. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect in every way. Doesn't mean that I'm not going through changes. I'm, there's a process. I'm learning. But at that moment that I gave my heart to Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells on the inside of me. And I know him more than Jehovah. I know him more than Yahweh. I know him more than all the compound names of God mentioned in the Old Testament. But now I know him as Father God. I'm eternally bound to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. I fellowship with him through the communion of his Holy Spirit. I am a son or a daughter of God, born again, made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this before I close today. Let's say this. When you are authentic in your faith, and by faith you have trusted God for forgiveness and reconciliation. It is our belief that the Spirit of God enters into you, joining with your spirit, making you spiritually alive to God. My body is the same. My mind, my soul, or my will and emotions are the same, except for now I can start the process of renewal in my soul. But instantly my spirit is alive to God. Here's how Scripture describes you and I. We're called new creatures in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, how many of you in the process, listen real quickly. We're going to have a baby soon, right, Julie? You picked out a name, right? All right. Now, when you picked out a name, did you look at the meaning of that name? Because it means something, right? Because we sometimes believe that who we are sometimes can be somehow connected to the name. Who we become. Something perhaps, because that was the Hebrew way. We, 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 we believe this. Let me tell you what God has, has, he calls you. He calls you a new creation. 
You say, well, pastor, you don't know my past. I'm telling you, you died. And now you're alive unto God. The Bible calls you born again. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all shouting today. I don't mind telling you. The Bible calls you born from above. Come on, born from above. God is your father. The Bible calls you a son or a daughter of God. The Bible says you're now regenerate. You're made alive in Christ. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Listen to this. You were quickened together with Christ. The Bible calls you children of light. Saved. Renewed by the Spirit. Begotten again. And born again. Like the wind. People can't understand us. Why? Because their eyes have not been opened and illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit here today. I'm closing this today real quickly with one metaphor that I have used in the past and it's been kind of on my mind here just real quickly. I just want you to understand the power of life that's on the inside of you today. The power of the Holy Spirit that has joined with your spirit. Put the title back up there if you would, Phil, for just a moment. I want people to see it real quickly. The nature of what? The reborn spirit. We are alive unto God by his spirit. We are different than we were before. Entirely different. Entirely no longer controlled by the appetites and the passions of the flesh. Because there is a power inside of us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Joins with our spirit. And has declared us to be a child of God. Now, in days gone by, I've used this analogy, and I'm going uh, to deter from it slightly. I've shared with you before the analogy of a car battery. Have you ever taken a car battery, and you go to start your car, and it just it won't start at all? It's no, it won't even click. That's what I call it. It won't even click. You ever had that? It won't even click. You're like, what in the world? No lights, no nothing, anything at all. You go, you pop the hood, and you look, and it says, well, the life expectancy, notice the words that even we in the natural look. They said the life expectancy of that battery was three, four, or five years. And so, well, mine's a five-year battery. It's only three years, so perhaps I can bring it back to life. So you take it off, and you hook it up to a battery charger. Now, that battery looks the same as it did throughout the whole process. Nothing's changed. If you were to take the caps off the battery, you would see cells inside of it. They look the same. You would shake it. There's still fluid inside it. There's still an acid and water mixture in there that's helping in the process. But there's no life in the battery. There's no life. It looks the same that it's always, but there is simply no life. But you hook that battery to a charger. And the power of another source. Come on, somebody. God is so gracious to give us these natural examples. The power of another source begins to flow in it. And it's called recharging or regeneration. And that battery then, after a few hours, you unhook the charger, you go, you carry it out. Now, it still looks the same. But you put it on the car, you hook your cables up, you go inside, you're praying, oh, Lord God. I know you are. And then you hit the key, no click, but it fully starts. What happens? Now, a power of life is active on the inside of it. And the change is notable because of the ability that it now possesses that it previously did not possess. And when you, as a child of God, receive the Holy Spirit, you commune with God in a way 
that you could not commune with him previously. Who's on the platform? Is that you? Phil or Daryl? Come on. Or Aaron or Daryl? So today, let me tell you, in closing, the first of the series, being born again. Jesus said you must be born again. Why? Because without being born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But when you are born again, everything changes. You commune with God. The life of the Holy Spirit is now on the inside of you. I'm telling you, church family, if you could only understand the fullness of God's Spirit dwelling inside of you, it will break the curses of the enemy off of you. He has no hold on you, no strength, no ability to... Why? Let me ask you this. Could death hold Jesus back when the Spirit of God came into him? Then death and the devil and depression and everything else cannot hold you back when you understand the power of the spirits on the inside of you. You can rise in the midst of the most adverse situations because of the anointing and the grace and the glory and the goodness and the power of his spirit that's on the inside of you. You know, not a, as they say before, all the darkness of this world cannot put out the light of a single candle. So no matter how much darkness is coming upon you in your life, if you're born again, you have the power to illuminate the darkness. But come on, church family. You have the power because of what? The Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of you. That's so powerful. If we could just grasp that knowledge, then it will change everything about us. Then addictions have to lose their stronghold. Come on, because they can't hold you back any longer. The power of the Holy Spirit. Generational curses can no longer claim you as a victim any longer because there's a greater power on the inside of you. Right? Despair can no longer cause your mind to be wallowing in fear and anxiety. Because why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than any thought or imagination that can pass through your mind. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So my prayer today in closing is twofold. First of all, if you're a child of God, know of a certainty today that the eternal life of God is on the inside of you and you're a son or a daughter of God and you are children of light and of the glory of God. With the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, nothing can stop you from being the person God's called you to be. Nothing. No, does that make sense today? Nothing. Isn't that joy unspeakable and full of glory? Doesn't that allow us to live our lives even in the presence of, of, even in the presence of death? Can't we still live our lives in joy because we have eternal life that abides on the inside of us? Can't we? Shouldn't Christians have the greatest joy of any people group on the planet? Shouldn't we? Why? Why? Because of the Holy Spirit and the nature of the reborn spirit. Secondly, here today, if you are here today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I'm telling you, things will change when you do. They'll change right here. The first thing will change will be just your nature. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. The communion with God. Remember this. I'm going to say this. That passage in John, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must. That's for everybody. Every one of us have to be confronted with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he sends his spirit into our heart. You have to be. You have to be. Our heads are bowed. Our hearts.